Hi and welcome to Elsie's Mundo uh, Book Club podcast. So, just for the podcast listeners, a short background. I was born and grew up in Hungary uh, under, at least, politely expressing. Uh, under very stormy circumstances. Half of my family emigrated to the United States of America. The other half stayed in Hungary, but uh, my mother was unable to raise me up. Um, so I was in 12 different places to be grown up first relatives, then far relatives, then acquaintances. Then back to my mother, who was a very severe alcoholic and drug abuser. And um, despite all the circumstances, um, I was able, although with one year delayed, uh, to finish high school. Then I was working because I was prohibited from all the Hungarian universities and higher educational facilities because of my political stance uh, and you, and especially because of my straightforwardness. I always expressed what I meant. Never learned how to be polite. Never. From whom? Um, I finished again under very stormy circumstances. First, I was working as a social helper. And then uh, because I was prohibited from full-time university studentship, therefore I was able to apply only for night university, nighttime school. Um, First two years, I was in the faculty of law because my working place didn't recommend me anywhere else. Then after two years, I switched to the University of Economics, graduated. I was prohibited for the whole country from teaching because of my political view because I graduated as a political economy and professional teaching. So I was unable to teach. So I again worked and then finally I was accepted of the National Academy of Science Historical Institute because of my graduation thesis. So the summary is that after being a researcher, uh, I was able to teach in deep countryside in Hungary before the regime changed, just a year before. And then I uh, went to Canada as a visiting professor. And then I went back to Hungary. And then uh, in 1993, I decided not to stay anymore in Hungary because there was no chance and no possibility anymore for me as a human being, as a woman, and as a professional.
my professionalism, sorry for uh, saying that, uh, was too high quality. So I always had conflicts because the only thing I learned in my short young life that output is everything. The rest is nothing. That's I was able to do nothing else. So I applied 11 jobs. I got two. One was in Italy and the other one was in Japan. Because Japan was far enough, I left for Japan. I had no idea where I went. So I was a visiting professor as an economic historian of East Central Europe and the former Soviet Union. Then I learned the language, which is the most difficult language on the globe, Japanese. I got a private scholarship from a Japanese war time criminal son who promised to himself that always helping people who suffered in one way or in another because of the Holocaust. Uh, my scholarship for five years was smaller than under the minimum income for Japanese students, but I survived. Um, and I learned the language, I learned the new profession, Japanese and East Asian economic and financial history. And then I applied for jobs in Japan. So I got one job and I was commuting 520 kilometers weekly from Tokyo to the countryside university. Then I went to New Zealand to work and then in New Zealand, I got a letter from a former student of mine who sent me under top secret one advertisement that Japan top first class private university advertising only for foreigners permanent full-time job. I, while I was working in New Zealand, I applied. I went to the interview because I was shortlisted. That was the only time in my life when I had literally five euro on my banking account after buying the ticket uh, from New Zealand Oakland to Tokyo and back. And two weeks later, I got the information that I got the job. So I was uh, selected as one of the six happy job winners from 2,200 applicants. Wow. Yeah. So I was working at the top level of the private universities in Japan named Waseda University. Um, and uh, it was very hard, but that's boring. Working in Japan is extremely hard. And uh, I got in 2010 a sabbatical year, which meant that I went to London, London School of Economics for six months. Then uh, from London 
to Berlin, the Freie Universität Berlin was the other six months. And three weeks before moving back to Tokyo, the Fukushima triple catastrophe happened. And uh, we were watching with my atomic physicist husband uh, as everything was gone on the TV. Because we were in Berlin and we saw that it was gone. I mean, just gone. <laughs> so we were forced to decide not to return. So I lost my job. I started not from zero, but minus my life after 17 years working and living in Japan. And we decided because of my husband's requirement that we stayed, we should stay in Berlin because he loved Berlin. So we stayed in Berlin and I lost all of my network. Again, I started to learn another language, you know. It doesn't matter, you know. After Japanese, it doesn't matter anymore. Everything is so, easier than Japanese. Yeah, so uh, since we have been living in 2011 March, because March 11 was the Fukushima disaster, uh, I did quit academia. I finished all of my Japanese and international kind of network. Uh, and there were two reasons for not continuing this. One was that I never liked being an academic. I'm an excellent teacher, but I'm a kind of sloppy researcher because as soon as I have a good answer to my own question, I don't care anymore. And you know, the researchers doing well, the time this, and I'm sorry, nobody hates them. Nobody cares them. Their ideas really randomly go through the public mind. So I decided surprisingly in Berlin that I, since I lost love of my life after my husband, that is my teaching, uh, I dig out something other ability which I didn't know and I didn't use, and that was the writing. So I did teach myself how to write enjoyable text on any topic. So I started to do that, and uh, after five or six years being here in Berlin, finally I wrote my first real literature book <laughs> and then the other one then the other one then the other one so in the last seven years i wrote endless very good articles papers but none of them scientific so to speak um, that's why that's why that's... i invited you for my podcast because that's exactly about books and writing and and yeah, and I wrote altogether six books. Just the last one was published in May this year. Mm -hmm. Novels and essays, short novels and essays. Mm -hmm. Because I think um, for me, the academic life 
was like imprisoning my brain. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to select certain expressions. Uh, these, uh, they call it in the academic life, gatekeeping. Mm -hmm. So if you don't use the right technical terminus, if you don't use the right sequence, doesn't matter how good idea you have, because I'm a social scientist, unfortunately, not a mathematician or a physicist like my husband, you know, he writes two lines and, you know, won a big award or whatever. You cannot do that. Yeah. So I, I felt that my life always been rich enough, interesting enough. I'm quite intelligent, I think. I'm very red. And I have my deep, deep, deep curiosity. So I wanted to show for a larger classroom, you know, that some people can see from different angle the same things. Mm -hmm. Once more, I'm not talking about profession, because of course, whenever they ask me, primarily in Hungary, to write on Fukushima or to write on the Hiroshima Nagasaki or the nuclear reactors history in Japan. Of course I wrote it. Of course I know that every article of mine, for example, in the BBC history Hungarian <laughs> version, it's a mandatory reading all over the universities in the country. But it doesn't matter because after several years, I had to give up because uh, um, Hungary is fundamentally a network society. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know who does know, who has the link, and because my biggest treasury, a very rich person, is my autonomy. And I was able to keep in Japan my autonomy, which is not easy at all. I imagine. As a woman, as a non-Japanese. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I gave up because, you know, when, when, for example, one university did buy one specific series of mine, the modernizing the Japanese economy society since the 19th century, like this, because the editor-in-chief uh, told me, and I got for one article uh, 26 euros before tax. Okay. Oh, wow. So I decided after several uh, anger or angry outburst of my husband, he, he was very angry because he believed that it's just not proper. Yeah. So, but because everything depends on the network, who knows whom, finally I gave up. Although 
a lot of people in Hungary, just yesterday I got a letter from one, very, very good, long-time friend, very professional journalist. Uh, he's very angry at me. He believes that I must continue my mission, free of charge writing. And uh, then I answered that I'm not a missionary, mm -hmm. neither a hero, nor a martyr, you know, I'm none of them. He got very angry and disappointed because he has hundreds of millions, you know. We don't have anything. Only 2,500 books, okay? That's all we have, nothing else. But that's all right. I mean, that's all right. Mm -hmm. Knowledge always has the value. I mean, doesn't matter how high the inflation is. So, and because of my personality, and because of my extremely high critical view, mm -hmm. of course, um, I preferred all the time, meanwhile, I was a university professor and an academic and blah, blah, blah. Always certain historians who were very similar to me, very similar. And uh, my number one, till I die, is Charles Johnson. Now, he was, unfortunately, he passed away when I left Japan for London. I mean, that was a symbolic message for me, you know, that he left us. And uh, now, this man was and had been my top, top, top level of thinkers. Mm -hmm. No one as, although I knew from books, hundreds and hundreds dealing with Japan and East Asia and, and maybe it's worth a bit, you know, to, to describe how I met first him on the TV, the Japanese TV. One night after the 7 p.m. news, they had a social, kind of social science related interview series on the Japanese public broadcasting, NHK. And suddenly, I just, at that time, I couldn't understand a single word in Japanese. I couldn't. Mm -hmm. But they had an English interpretation. And fortunately, Charles Johnson was American, so there was no need for interpreting. Mm -hmm. So what I saw and stopped, and even stopped cooking the dinner, uh, one guy sitting in his living room, and the right side and the left side, two cats. And he introducing himself, I'm Chalmers Johnson, 
retired professor of University of California in Santa Monica. Uh, let me introduce you, my cat, Okodasho, which means in Japanese, the Ministry of Finance. And let me introduce you, the other cat of mine, Tsusan Shou, uh, which means in Japanese, the Industrial and Trade Ministry of Japan. Now, I thought immediately, now these guys, of course, crazy. I mean, of course, crazy. So I love him. I mean, I don't, I don't care what else comes after that, but these two cats, okay. So after I listened to his interview, which was made because his book just came out, a new book. The following morning, I went to the university library and I started to read him. I mean, whatever he published, that didn't matter. I just read and read and read and read. And then it turned out that this man was originally a Chinese expert, but because of the Mao Cultural Revolution, Mao uh, immediately threw out all the Westerners or a Westerner who stayed in China had to spy. So there was no third alternative. And because he was preparing his PhD dissertation in China, therefore, there was no PhD dissertation on China. He had to go back to California, Berkeley, and he asked his professor, Fairbank, the big name of China, uh, what shall I do now? You know, here I am, fluent in Chinese, you know, but I cannot go to China. Um, and Fairbank said, look, the easiest way for you to learn Japanese, because after Chinese, it's very easy to learn Japanese, it's true, actually. And then you switch your topic from China to Japan. And that's how he became the number one on the Japanese history, economic history, 1920 century. No one could be better up till today than he was. No one. No one. Thank you. So you mentioned uh, about the professional literature. Now let's talk a little bit about fiction and fine literature. Have you got any favorites? There? Mm, it depends uh, whether we are talking about the Hungarian literature or the, so to speak, all over the globe literature, all the world literature. Mm -hmm. Now, the first thing which I believe very important to let the podcast listeners know that I never ever read in any other languages but in Hungarian literature. Never, never. 
there, there is one funny reason for doing that. I just want to enjoy, you know, not because my English is poor. My English is far from poor. Not because my Japanese is poor. No, my Japanese is far from poor. But because I don't want to destroy my joy, you know, I want to enjoy the reading. Since I was four, uh, I learned how to read uh, in two weeks. So since I was four, I've been reading all the time. That keeps me alive. Without reading, I'm dead. Really, I'm dead. Now, um, since I emigrated 30 years ago from my country, uh, for a time being, I was absolutely updated. I monthly, literally monthly. I knew all the new coming books. I knew all, all, all. Uh, since the COVID, you know, which cut all of us, you know, from certain things, uh, less and less, and uh, even it's very, very surprising and goes against, goes against the public belief in Hungary. Uh, the literature, because we are not talking about other cultural fields, only the literature. I think the literature is now dying in Hungary, thanks to the current 13 years old regime, absolutely efficient, marvelously precise, uh, destroying actions. They destroy everything and including international book festivals, delegates, and this was the first time in the Frankfurt Amman International Book Fair that two writers went there and none of the two has, I'm sorry, any significance. Really? But most of them are women, so the government could demonstrate, look, I mean, we are not oppressing women. <laughs> but none of the great writers got any official state support to go to the Frankfurt Amman Festival, none of them. Now, that signals, it's almost like an alarming signpost that something deeply wrong now and i think it requires one or maybe two decades to restore it you know these damages sure. now but of course because i'm one of the generation who was born under the Stalinism, grew up under the Kada regime. We always had to learn 
that literature saves us. Literature is which gives us the illusion of freedom. So that's why Hungary, not merely because of the Hungarian language uniqueness, but I think that's why we always been translating everything like right away. So I grew up knowing basically all the significant authors, writers. And when I went to Japan, it turned out that I knew more Japanese authors and their books because I was reading it in Hungarian and I was watching more Japanese films in Hungary than my own husband who is Japanese, so, um, so therefore the books and the films were the two pillars which I was able to build up my, so to speak, intellectual capacity and intellectual acumen mm-hmm. because um, there is one linguistic saying, I'm not a linguist, of course, that if you have the highest possible level of your mother tongue ability, you have in other languages similar when you learn other languages, because the mother tongue gives you the asset of the fine nuances and the refined thinking and the style. So, you know, I can mention, unfortunately, from two, one is not among us, Peter Esterhazy, you know, who, who just kept my generation hoping that, you know, even he was so good that we even unaware, we are unaware how many sentences and his expressions, which he invented in his books, was built in our everyday conversation. We never notice. So, um, the other one whom I like, not Nadas Peter, nor um, oh, Krasnoverkoi, who is the biggest, 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 biggest. I'm unable, I'm unable to read Krasnoverkoi because I left East Central Europe. It's like listening in emigration Bartok, same. Mm. You know, you just, you just feel such a deep pain that you stand up and leave. You don't want to, you cannot, you cannot, it's too much. It goes too deep. Now, Krasnodar is similar for me, so I cannot read him. Mm-hmm. I cannot, no way. But Parti Noj or Lajos Noj Parti, now 
his sense of humor and his inventive and marvelous language um, also gives me some intellectual relief. Um, I should have mentioned Danish Krushovsky, who is mm -hmm. the new generation, but unfortunately, maybe I'm not postmodern enough to like his second book. Mm -hmm. The first book I read three times because it's such a perfect, great book. And the second book, sorry. Sorry, sorry, probably I'm outdated, I'm too old, whatever. And um, I think despite Khrushchevsky criticism, my number one forever, forever writer is Shandotar. Now, mm -hmm. You know, I probably because uh, he always been writing on people and the everyday life and environment that I was coming from. So for me, it was like he's talking to me. We are chatting. You know, it's unbearable. So much pain in his novels, but. Uh, I do believe that Chandler Thor is the greatest short novelist after the Second World War in Hungary. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, nobody appreciated him enough um, because he was from countryside, deep countryside, and again, the network, you know? He never belonged to the real leading intellectual circles. Mm -hmm. So, plus, you know, that he was blackmailed and threatened uh, by the internal ministry. So he wrote, he used to write every week on his closest friends, uh, the reports. And uh, after the regime changed and he was invited to, first time in his life, he was 54, I think, or 55. That was the first time for him to go to the West. Hello. He was invited officially uh, by the organizers of the Frankfurt Main International Book Fair. And while he was there, somebody, his closest intellectual, who used to be a good friend of mine, um, accidentally found his reports, including on him, in the archive, and he publicized the whole. So basically, Todd lived after that, I think, one and a half years, and he died. I mean, you cannot survive this. You, you cannot. I mean, it's, you know, it's impossible. Now, as far as the international, so to speak, or world literature uh, is concerned, funnily, although I went through, of course, 
all the classics and again and again returning, but not to Dostoevsky, sorry, um, because I cannot once more know. Uh, and also, it's funny, but I'm not lucky, you know, because I have extremely sharp memory. So once I read the book, I remember. So when I start reading again, many years later, I remember after one page, the whole book. So I cannot read twice, unless it's really something special. Um, recently, in the last two to three years, my number one favorite, non-Hungarian literature has become the Scandinavian and the Icelander literature. I mean, wow. Now, those people know something, I mean, which you don't know. I mean, those people know something which you don't know. Not because I'm romanticizing, you know, the six, seven, eight months long darkness and winter time and oh it must be marvelous oh it's awful i think yes. uh, but because uh, they are so deeply depending on the environmental elements that they are forced by these elements to see differently their own life, uh, differently from us. I mean, so I read almost uh, endlessly Scandinavian authors, and especially Islanders. I mean, they are my favorite. I mean, mm -hmm. they are really very special. <clears throat> when it comes to Scandinavia, I'm always thinking about Joe Nesper, the thrillers and all of these. Are these among yeah. your favorites? You know, practically, before Nesbur, I never read thrillers. Okay, when I was young, I, I used to read Reiter, you know, Reiter, or I used to read Agatha Christie, but since then, never. And now I do it. Mm -hmm. But only Scandinavian thriller and detective novels, only. No one else. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice. We agree. Mm -hmm. Great. <laughs> Thank you. And who is your favorite one from Iceland? Are those also thrillers? Or... Can you wait one second because it's next to my bed in the other room and sure. I will show you. Yes. Okay. Please. Because I read it five times. Read wow. Five times. It's in, um, I'm sorry, I'm here. It's impossible to dig out, but I, and I don't waste uh, the podcast time. The title of the book, Levelek Helgapos. This is a very small book, very thin. And it's impossible for me to pronounce uh, the author name, Levelek Helgapos. Yes, I was just searching for it. It says Bergswein Birgitson. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Now, that one is incredible. No, I mean, 
In an Iran-Gay, more than for a year is on the top bestseller list. Wow. Yeah, yeah. How I know it because last month, my new book, the last one, which came out in May, became bestseller. And I was after Lavella Kerga was the letter to Helga. Mm -hmm. So that's how I know because I somebody sent me the picture of the list and I, I thought, ooh. Wow. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> ooh. <laughs> so anyway. All right. So let's talk a little bit about your books and your writing. Let me mm. also just now share my screen for a moment when okay. i search for your name i can see like <laughs> a lot of books already and you can see like i i signed up for all of these <laughs> i want to read all of these so basically like what i how i heard about you that in may i was in hungary and i saw your book the as Eron to Japan, the spoiled Japanese on the mm -hmm. spotlight. And I was like, wow, I need to read it. I love Japan. I love, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I wanted to get some idea and, and also just, I love short stories, novellas and so on. So yes. And then I bought it and then I read it like, I don't know, in two days something like that and I really really enjoyed that so that I started to follow your uh, Facebook page and now here we are <laughs> oh gosh thank you for this background I, of course I have no idea you know that's that's basically the most important characteristic of books as soon as it goes to the printer you have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, what reflections, what uh, feelings uh, are generated by a book. No idea. I mean, and uh, many, many, many people, uh, as an introduction to my own writing, now, many, many, many people um, reading my books uh, as uh, with, with kind of uh, anger. Not the last one, you know, because the last one doesn't cause any harm, God's sake, to anyone. Not because I'm losing my critical view on everything and on everyone. But because uh, I wanted to give some kind of like a mosaic or puzzles, how, you know, this marvelous Japan, uh, indeed, everything but marvelous, okay? Uh, just the same as any other country. I mean, I'm not against, you know, realistic picture. I'm against the demonizing or the 
mystifying or idealizing because I'm not an entertainer. Sorry, I'm, I'm not an entertainer. Uh, many people, uh, especially on my certain professional books before I started writing something else, and I go there in a minute, even the university students uh, graduating on Japan, many, many, many were very angry at me, many. And then when they went to Japan, because they must go to Japan for language practicing, minimum one or one and a half years, um, many of them used to be my students in Japan too. Then they recognized that I was extremely kind and generous <laughs> comparing to the Japanese everyday life reality, okay? Um, and some of them, if they had chance, they actually apologized to me. I don't know why. I mean, I don't need apology or admiring or, you know, the book is out. You do whatever you can or you want or you don't want to do with my book. I don't care. I mean, I don't care. Now, the second one, I'm not considered in my own country and by my own country as a literature person. I'm not. Because uh, the very good example is when I actually wrote the Betrayed Japan book, which I was able to combine my historical professional knowledge via two families, one in Hungarian and the other one is Japanese um, family parallel history, so the micro history, but in a style which actually I never used before. So when I finished the book, and I sent to the publisher, Calligram, uh, the, the, the head of Calligram called me and he said, oh, it's printed now, but we have a very difficult problem. What? We cannot classify which category this book should belong to. And we need to find the category because it's not anthropology, mm -hmm. neither family history, because it's more. It's not these and these and this. And he didn't know, actually he doesn't know until today, because my newest book was also published by, by Colligram, the same publisher, mm -hmm. that he gave me the biggest award, because that's exactly what I wanted, not to be categorized, read it, then enjoy it, or don't enjoy it, or whatever, but um, I'm out of categories, sorry. But the literature circles in Hungary don't consider me as one of their own no, 
And for many years, I didn't believe I became a writer. Really, for many years. I mean, I kept asking, you know, around that, do you think it's good? And they didn't understand my question. Of course it's good. I said, but do you think it's so, again, the network, you know, because I'm not belonging to any network. I never been uh, uh, a candidate for any award in Hungary, not because I won, so please don't mistake me, but because, you know, that's a mirror which shows and demonstrates, you know, that only one writer, I repeat, one writer who is a Scandinavianist emigrated to Norway a couple of years ago and wrote two books up till now two quite fat books both of them are very good um now he's the only one who is considered uh, as a writer but i'm telling you why because he always translating from norwegian to Hungarian literature and from Hungarian to Norwegian. So somehow, even he doesn't live in Hungary anymore, he's considered as a literature person, but I'm not. Now, uh, on that list, which you did show me before we started or continued or talk, there was a book, uh, but it's not available anymore. Uh, the Island of Otherness, which is available on, as an air book in English on Amazon.com, 10 euro, 10 euro. Yeah, yeah, the Island of Otherness is here, but it's none of my books are available at normal price in Hungary. Just yesterday, I got a letter from someone uh, who said to me that the Mashak Sigete in the island of Adenes is five times higher price circulated by uh, these uh, monopoly book traders, uh, Libri and Bookline, because they are the same now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, but there is one book, uh, The Shadow of the Rising Sun, the first, which is an interview mm -hmm. on Japan, 245 pages, which is actually right now, literally, I'm not joking, 15 times higher price. 15 times. Wow, okay. yes, from 8,000 yeah. forints. Yeah, 30,000 forints instead of 2,000. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. Anyway, so when I was writing, because that was my first trial or testing myself after writing several essays, short novels, uh, somehow, because I professional for BBC History in Hungary, I wrote the first 
testing chapter for a publisher, uh, The Island of Otherness, because I wanted to write uh, my teaching experience in Japan, okay, as a woman, as a foreigner, and mm -hmm. as a teacher. So the first chapter I wrote, and I was like, because, and I remember vividly that we were in a company, uh, in a home party, mm -hmm. New Year's, these kind of things, and drinking champagne and congratulating to each other and wishing the best. And, and then the editor in chief called me, it's another publisher. He said, I never read in my life anything like that. So please send the following chapters. Wow. Even after he sent me an email, um, with a real cat poem, that this chapter reminded him of Rilke, one of the most beautiful poems written by Rilke. Very sad, of course, very sad. But... So I had kind of, okay, so maybe I'm able to write. Maybe, maybe. Not sure, but maybe. And then um, I wrote The Betrayed Japan. And the, the editor-in-chief, after every chapter, called me, and he ran through the chapters. And he said to me a key sentence, please do not analyze, because I have excellent analytical ability as a used-to-be researcher and used-to-be teacher, but please don't analyze. Right. Now, that was the key sentence for me to split my two abilities, you know, not to mix it up. And then when the book, uh, first talk was held in the writer's bookstore, Iron Borja, before that, he told me in private, look, why I like your book is that you don't, you don't want to imitate anyone. This is you. I mean, this is how you write. This is how you see. This is your style. So I had the second big relief. Believing gradually that maybe I'm able to write. And the third stage was very negative because I, five years ago, I sat down in an October dark night and suddenly I noticed that I'm writing. I didn't want to write. I didn't plan, no. And in two months, I wrote a new book. Don't tell anyone because I cannot lie. Two months. I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And then I sent to five publishers. All of them are rejecting it, all of them. No way, 
No, we're never going to publish this. But uh, from the five, two were funny, so I may share via this podcast. One editor-in-chief uh, of a publishing house literally rewrote my manuscript, the entire manuscript. Really? In order to make understandable for everyone, not only the liberal Jewish uh, friends of yours. Now, needless to say, these two words were enough anyway, not to publish with this publishing house. But because this book, Ela Talon, Live Dream, Mm -hmm. is basically three sentences three chapters and three sentences one chapter is one sentence and he believed that as an expert i forgot where to put the comma and where to finish the sentence so he wrote the whole okay now the second one was an assigned young editor called me, Skype, via Skype, and he told me the following. I'm sorry, Miss Weber, but you need to find as soon as it possible the best possible psychiatric expert. And you know, I asked naively, why is that? And he, she raised her voice and she was yelling and she said because normal person never ever write these kind of things okay so she believed mentally i was extremely ill then you know uh, it was a kind of hopeless trip of the manuscript, the calligram rejected it, saying that we don't have enough profit from this mm-hmm. book. And then uh, one of my closest friends, who is a worldwide known literature translator, English and Irish Gaelic, uh, I sent to him. And he called me accidentally, I was in Budapest. And I went to him. We knew each other since I was 16 years old, so it's half century. Okay? Very close friend. We are very close. And he is really the top literature person. I used to be the Pan International president. So he understands what literature is. So he told me. Please don't change anything in this manuscript. Nothing, not as as it is, must be published. And he organized for me a newly established publisher. I sent to them, and practically in two months it was out. The publisher went into bankruptcy. I never got one penny for this book. Never. But for the other books, you know, I mean, altogether, maybe I got altogether 3,000 euro for five books. So you can imagine how rich I am. Hmm. 
And uh, <clears throat> the book is a monologue of a small girl on her own, from her own perspective, on her father, mother, yeah, this one, and a very famous, worldwide known artist, my friend, who emigrated 50 years ago to Paris, Franjo, uh, he made the cover page and inside of the book, the illustrations, of course, free of charge. And uh, this book, you know, for a long time, it was silence, nothing, nothing. Somebody wrote something absolutely stupid on the book, so I even didn't want to read it, but somebody said to me. And then, uh, this spring, so two and a half years after the book came out, because once more, you never know what the book makes with people and what people makes from the book. Somebody unknown for me by name, a woman, wrote me a long letter, very long letter, that she started to read my book six months earlier and she couldn't because she burst into tears immediately. So she let it just rest. Six months later, I was, uh, she was strong enough, she wrote me, to read the whole book. And it turned out that she's one of the best psychiatric and psychological expert in Hungary. She has a website. She's a professor of uh, destroyed families and um, uh, kids without parents. And uh, she wrote me that this is the book which she's going to teach because no one, no psychiatric, no psychological expert ever could express better what is it that a kid has no parents, no family, and she finally said, you know, just, just the signal of my admiration toward you without meeting. I read all of your books. <laughs> you know, I don't care, you know, what the topic is. And because I never read anything like that. So, but, you know, I'm still not a writer in Hungary. So, <laughs> and you know, writing is requiring an inner life. And the inner life is just goes against my personality, so to speak, you know, because I used to be kind of bubbling and sizzling and meeting and calling and chatting and being big company and but I couldn't teach, so I forced myself for years to find my inner life. And without these efforts, which took years, I couldn't have written, not a sentence, not a line. 
And the other thing is that what I learned in the last couple of years that I cannot force myself to write. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Now, I never been able to write things because somebody ordered. It's impossible for me, you know, like write on these and these. It's impossible. I mean, it comes from inside. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So it's okay. So the question offers itself, are you working on something right now? Um, yes and no. Um, because, um, you know, I write really a lot. I mean, it's like, because that keeps me above the water, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, without that, I'm dead. But I decided just a few days ago, two days ago, more precisely, that I stopped publishing in Hungarian, finished. Uh, because, uh, you know, I have limited time. I'm 71 and, uh, I don't feel being old at all because until my curiosity moves me, everything is all right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I felt that the time has arrived when I must stop allowing the others humiliating me in various ways, you know, not to pay for my writing, um, not considering me with the same respect what I do with everyone, you know, with everyone. Um, so I decided that because I have a substack, there are 4 million authors, just a small tiny number you know nothing special so i'm learning now substack i have an account and i'm going to publish everything in english over there and at the same time i started a youtube channel there is the center of the world globe i gave four lectures I tried to switch to English. Nobody came when I was giving it in English. So I decided that I will do that also via, I record by myself and I edit and I put on Substack. And the drastic decision of mine was that uh, no more free lunch. If anyone wants to read anything from me, from marvelous, analytical, beautifully written article on the Chinese future until my novel on students who were beating each other after September 11 in Tokyo in a pub, um, please pay. I mean, no, no more, you know, I've been working for so long voluntarily. I cannot, yeah. I cannot do it anymore. And also at the same time, I do hope that it opens, you know, a much bigger readership 
And back to your question as the last, yes, um, I'm very strongly thinking to write uh, on a very peculiar topic, and that is who made and how made the regime change in Hungary. The reason is that I knew everyone of the opponents in person for decades since I was 16. So I have again another view, you know, another perception, another perspective to demonstrate that these people and their ideas putting into practice was nothing less and nothing more than their personal ambition-driven uh, action. And unfortunately, it's very disappointing, but because since I knew every, each of them for years, therefore I knew how their ideas never improved up till today, up till today, because they are so full with, my, with themselves and so satisfied with themselves. Anyway, so that's all. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective and your experience and uh, Thank you. talking about books. Thank you for being with us for this month as well and follow Erzazis Mundo. Stay tuned for more book reviews. Bye!